Hello and welcome to the Science Support Podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Chris Bishop. Chris is a senior lecturer and program leader of the MSc in Strength and Conditioning at Middlesex Uni and the chairman of the board of the UK SCA. Today's podcast is split into two parts. The first part is on internships, looking at how the UK SCA has improved internship conditions throughout the UK. And the second part of the podcast is looking at how you in the future as a UK SCA accredited strength and conditioning coach could achieve chartered status. This podcast is brought to you by Hawking Dynamics, the world leader in innovative force plate technology. Hawking Dynamics takes a user-centric approach featuring a fully customizable cloud-based software that allows users to easily digest and analyze complex force plate data. The technology is constantly evolving, much like an app update for your iPhone. They communicate with users on a daily basis to make their system better. In addition to all of that, they also offer some of the most competitive prices for bilateral force plates on the market. And they're the only force plate company offering a completely wireless system. So, if you want to find out more, check out their easy intro to force plate section at www.hawkingdynamics.com forward slash blog. So, without further ado, it's time to welcome Chris onto the show. So, Chris Bishop, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's great to hear, uh, great to have you here, mate. Thanks very much for having me on, mate. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very nice, and uh, always enjoy doing these sorts of things. So, yeah, real privilege to be asked. Good, good. Um, can you give us a quick introduction for anyone who doesn't know who you are and what you're doing? Yeah, sure. So, um, I currently work at Middlesex University uh, in London, in the UK, and uh, I am the program leader for the master's degree in strength and conditioning there um been doing that so i've been full-time at middlesex since about 2014 did a couple of years part-time before that um and more recently in 2017 uh for my sins have been uh one of the board of directors for the uk strength and conditioning association so that's a that's a pretty uh Difficult job, I imagine. Um, what does that involve, like in the day-to-day stuff? Uh, how much, how much attention do you give to it? How often are you, uh, are you doing stuff for that? The uh, UKCA bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the first thing to say is all the board director positions. Um, I, I assume for the Australian Association and the uh, NSCA as well, they're all voluntary. Um, so, what you do for these types of positions or what you get out of them is very dependent on what you put in. Um, you know, particularly when there's no kind of, um, financial remuneration for it. Uh, so really I I guess it's, uh, we have periods of the year where there's quite a lot of work to be done. We have periods of the year where it's probably a little bit quieter to try and give you some context to that, I guess. Um, you know, in the build up to our annual conference, which runs each summer, there's always quite a lot to do. Um, to try and prepare and support the uh, office who do a lot of the fantastic organizational stuff for us on that. Um, And then other times of the year, I guess in and around Christmas, when we are effectively at our furthest point away from things like the annual conference, there's potentially a little bit bit quieter. But it's very much driven by um, if you're working on projects, big or small, and you want to keep driving them forward, 
you're probably uh, your own worst enemy in terms of keeping busy, right? But that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine uh, as soon as it starts to roll a little bit, you're there getting stuck in and getting enthusiastic about it. And all of a sudden, uh, yeah, it's 12 o'clock at night and you've got to go to bed and uh, wake up the next day. So it's, uh, it's a tricky one, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that was definitely used to be the case. Um, uh, those 12 o'clock nights probably have, have disappeared now because uh just got a three-month-old daughter. So, uh, you know, the evenings are kind of very much spent now trying to, uh, you know, settle her and get her to sleep. But it certainly used to be like that, yeah. <laughs> You've got four o'clock in the morning instead, right? So that's, uh, that's all <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but uh, down to business, we want to talk about some of the uh, some of the, the goings-on with the UKSCA and uh, look at uh, the job industry at the moment in the, in the UK in terms of S&C. Um, can you describe to us how that looks at the moment? What's the current state of affairs in terms of S&C uh, in the UK? Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting one. It's... Um, I, I guess it varies massively. And my kind of bottom line up front answer is that it's definitely a fair bit better than it was five years ago. Um, in terms of jobs being advertised um, and paid jobs being advertised, I, I guess it's, you know, largely dependent on the organization that's advertising, right? Like some organizations, professional or not, have small budgets and can only offer what they can offer based on that budget uh, and some have much larger budgets and what naturally happens with those jobs I'm sure is that they inherently attract more people to want to apply to do them but obviously with greater competition um, comes a much you know it becomes much harder to uh, be successful in getting that desired job I guess what I would say though is regardless of the competition because um, there is a lot of competition I think everyone knows it. it's a little bit of a competitive and somewhat arguably saturated market there are more jobs than ever in strength and conditioning than there ever have been so um despite it being highly competitive it is definitely in its best place um that it has been ever in terms of growth and recognition i guess by the entire sports sector um i, I guess we're what we're what we're aiming for is to move away from the abundance of uh, unpaid internship roles that we saw, you know, I guess they were arguably more common kind of five, six, seven years ago, you know, or anything between maybe three or four years ago to seven or eight years ago, there was a period, wasn't there? Um, uh, there was one organization, I'm not going to name who it was, that they were asking for, you know, a full-time role uh, for somebody with a PhD with no money being offered. You know, I felt like that happened uh, I think two or three years ago. And, and, and for me, that, that felt like in that particular moment, um, the industry from a paying jobs perspective had kind of hit almost like an all time low. Um, but things have definitely moved on uh, a, a fair bit since then. And, and unsurprisingly, there was quite a bit of uproar, um, you know, when uh, that particular role came out. <laughs> I think there's quite a lot of middle fingers given from the uh, from the community online as well. So that's uh, that's positive as well, right? Like it's good that as a as a group of practitioners, we can stick up for ourselves. Right. So we've covered uh, what the state of the UK S and C industry is like at the moment. Um, what's the UK SCA's role in making sure that that's uh, progressing and improving? Yeah. So um, it's quite a it's quite a multifaceted answer, I suppose, but. Um, from the kind of early career junior coach slash internship perspective, 
Um, I guess about a year and a half, maybe a couple of years ago, we created an intern package, um, which is inclusive of a number of different documents. So um, first thing is we were able to uh, publish a position statement on advertising paid and unpaid jobs in sport or in strength and conditioning. And um, so Karim Khan, who's the editor of British Journal of Sports Medicine, was uh, kind enough to sort of invite that as a publication. Um, and it basically highlights that um, we don't we don't really support free labor. But if anyone is going to be in a position where they're not getting paid, it's probably going to be a student, potentially, because student hasn't graduated yet or you know finished their qualification so to speak so that's kind of the the rationale for um a student potentially not getting paid and rather undertaking maybe a work placement because the concept of being a student is that you're very much still learning i guess uh although aren't we all um the other thing is uh, sorry the other documents that are in this intern pack are um we did a state of the nation survey back in 2016 and that kind of highlights uh, the different sectors, areas, sports where people are working. Um, and the other thing that came out of that um, was that there are a number of internships and or volunteer roles out there. Um, so that's kind of a, a reference point, that document, so to speak, just to refer back to what the lay of the land is, was like in 2016. Um, there's an article written by Joel Brannigan in there as well, which is kind of largely about uh, what constitutes a good internship and it's about recognizing that if people are going to undertake internships um, you know from an employer's perspective it's about making sure that you're offering good quality uh, coaching opportunities and um, that you're not just effectively taking advantage of having an extra pair of hands in the room um, and then the other thing we've done which is off the back of that uh, article in British Journal of Sports Medicine is we wrote kind of like a, a, some guidelines for suggested payment for internships and placements. So whilst the, the publication recognised that you might not get paid anything as a student, um, we're suggesting as an association that it would be great if you could at least give a student expenses. Um, if there is an internship to be undertaken uh, from someone at a graduate level, then, you know, Free labor is, is, is not what we support. And we're suggesting that, you know, national minimum wage or national living wage should at least be paid. So we already had these kind of predefined levels of internships or placements from that publication. And we thought, you know, it's quite easy. Now we've defined exactly what that is to give some um, some suggested salary ranges and or suggestions for remuneration for those positions. What is, of course, harder to do is for paid positions um, such as strength and conditioning coach. That's really positive, mate, especially uh, in terms of looking after people who are just coming into the industry. If I look back uh, probably four or five years to when I was I was trying to do the same thing, um, it, it just wasn't going to be possible. Like you just do it for free. And I, I did my fair share of free stuff as well. Um, but it, it certainly saves a lot of those uh, people who can't afford to work for free. Right. Um, if you, if you can't literally yeah. work 70 hours a week, you do your 40 hours S and C and then you do another 30 to live. Like, yeah, that, that, that saves a lot of people and probably improves the industry because it, you don't lose those quality guys and girls who would have had to make that commitment, which is sometimes not possible. 
Yeah, that's right. And I think that, I mean, I don't want to, um, I think it was just the, the most important thing for me is that it was undoubtedly the right thing to do, um, which is the UKSCA is a members owned organization. And uh, it's very important that we try and support our members. I, I'm not, um, I don't think for a second that it necessarily would change you know employer stance overnight and for some employers it won't change what they do at all but um you know when money is being set by a professional sporting organization for a role that they want to pay i'm guessing that's you know set by people who are not um in the delivery of strength and conditioning services you know that's probably something that's been set by senior management and accounting and hr um, and, you know, I've said uh, once before, I think, on, on social media in response to something, you know, the UKSCA, we're not the HR police for, <laughs> you know, jobs in sport. You know, we're never going to be able to. And so we've had comments in the past where people go, the UKSCA should be doing more, you know, and it was like, I, we're trying, you know, that was the purpose of creating that pack so that one, we were doing more. But also, if you want us to... Uh, start setting salaries i'd be really keen for people to give us ideas how they think we could do that <laughs> you know like <laughs> what, in what in what world do they think we can set a salary at, at chelsea or you know saracens or wherever do you know what i mean like that's that's not what we're about so it's more about just making sure that we're supporting our membership and affecting areas that we can positively influence if that makes sense yeah, absolutely. And it's it's pretty much uh, cut off my next question as well, which is going to be like, what what should we be earning? But there's a, there's an unlimited amount of, of answers to that question, I suppose. So, um, yeah, what what do you think someone, not in strength conditioning, in every field, right? Is there is there a minimum that we should be earning as people who've, who've got a, a degree or a master's degree or a certain number of years experience? Is that, is that um, for example... You say we're, we're going to do an internship and hopefully we get a, a minimum wage. Um, is, there, is there also a minimum where we can work towards as an industry to say, if you're a strength and conditioning coach, like you should be earning more than minimum wage? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, your, your reference point um, to start with is very much um, that national minimum or national living wage right national living wage is is slightly higher than national minimum wage and if i remember correctly it's kind of aligned to people who are uh, a little bit older okay so sort of 20 uh, 20 uh, older than 21 or older than 24 25 something like that I have to go back and just double check on the government website but uh, your reference point to start with would be national living wage um which uh again i have to look up the exact amount it's probably something like 16 or 17,000 pounds a year in the UK which you know isn't a lot so if you've done an undergrad degree and you are or you've also done a master's degree because a lot of people are doing postgraduate degrees now and we have quite a lot of them here in the UK is there a minimum threshold I, I wouldn't want to hang my hat on a value because everyone's going to have an opinion about this and I'd say a figure and of course there'd just be a huge amount of backlash wouldn't there going <laughs> yeah, well why isn't it higher you know you can just imagine everyone has their their say and wants to be heard on these types of issues uh, I guess um 
if you've done an undergrad and a postgraduate degree, I'd like to think it would be substantially higher than national living wage, you know, so I would like to think it would be north of 20 grand. Um, that's not me quoting that we should be aiming for 20 grand for every position. I'm just saying that if you've done an undergrad and postgraduate degree, you've probably, you know, I'd like to think and some level of salt um, in conjunction with, you know, some level of experience then. But I mean, it's a, that's a, a question with arguably an impossible answer, really. Um, I, I just think every profession, yeah, would like to have, well, I'd like to be earning at least this and anything north of that is, you know, what we're working towards. So, um, yeah, really tough one. Uh, agree. And I'm, I'm sorry for posing it to you, but I think it's, uh, it's definitely an important one to, to discuss as well, right? So, like, can can we value ourselves as practitioners? I think, per- personally, in my opinion, at least, we should value ourselves as practitioners. Um, and if you have got a, a degree and you worked hard for it and you're, you're 21 years old and you've got no experience, yeah, okay, maybe uh, you can take the hit a little bit because you need that experience. But um, if you're going to do a paid S&C role, then, in my opinion at least, um, you should be reasonably paid for it. Because you're delivering quality. If you're not delivering quality, then uh, go find another job because you're easy to replace. Yeah, and I guess people pay based on, uh, you know, what they perceive to be the value that they're getting from a practitioner. You know, I, I don't think not everybody understands. So the people who are making the decision of how much to pay, you know, assuming that their hands aren't entirely tied by a set budget, um, they're probably paying based off of the perceived value that they think a practitioner brings. And if they think that value is set at a certain level, then that's what they'll offer. Um, So I I do think, and this has come up on social media recently with people like Stuart McMillan and and Brett Bartholomew, you know, people, people definitely uh, need to take some level of ownership um, in terms of better understanding how they can showcase their value. Um, and how that will impact organizations and athletes over time. And I think if they can do that better, um, you know, if you can showcase value to an organization, it probably means that they're uh, more likely to want to keep you or less likely to want to lose you. Um, And and then maybe that will have some level of, um, you know, impact on remuneration over time. Um, But I do think, though, you know, if you – if you haven't had much exposure as a as a technical coach uh, to strength and conditioning within your organization um, and you want to bring that level of support service in for your athletes, if you haven't had a great deal of experience with that, you're probably not going to commit loads of money to somebody straight away. Um, and it's understanding that, generally speaking, our profession's quite young as well. So our understanding of the impact it has, I think our understanding is, is still relatively junior because our profession is still quite young that's understandable as well right like um how can you how can you demand hundreds of thousands when you can't give results of hundreds of thousands um, yeah exactly if we if we can prove that we reduce injuries by 20 percent and the wages of professional footballers are millions then maybe you've got a chance of doing it but if you do that down the local uh, football club then you might have a little bit more of a difficult scenario this podcast is also brought to you by gymwear Gymwear have Flex. Flex is the latest product to enter the world of velocity-based training and is developed by the team at Gymwear. Flex is the only laser-based system available and it's this unique technology that makes Flex the most accurate and reliable barbell tracking product in the sub-$500 US dollar category. It's wireless, portable 
are specifically designed for individual use with its own social platform and automatic training lock. Flex captures all the critical performance and technique metrics that people demand from a velocity-based training device. Velocity, power, bar path, range of motion, and even bar position. Live feedback is delivered through the Flex app on every lift, and the data is automatically stored for review. Find out why VBT is such a powerful training method and what separates Flex from the competition at flexstronger.com forward slash VBT future. But um, yeah, before, exactly. before we uh, run out of too much time, I want to have a quick chat about all of the good work you're doing in terms of UKSCA and what the what the future brings, right? So what's the future of, of S&C in the UK and what's uh, the UKSCA's role in that? Yeah, so... Um... So I guess the first thing to touch on then really is um, we, we've created this uh, this pathway or this new pathway for the profession or for the S&C practitioner. Um, so this is a, a UKSCA model, if you like, and um, we're working in conjunction with an organization called the Chartered Institute for the Management uh, of Sport and Physical Activity. And they're a government-led organization, uh, and their role is to try and kind of further professionalize um, the whole sport and physical activity sector. So what we've created is a, is a pathway, and at the bottom of this pathway is um, two levels, and these levels are where we uh, effectively endorse qualifications or university degrees. Um, so that's sort of relatively new. And in order to endorse a qualification or a university degree, uh, we've needed to create um, professional standards, which is a documentation of set knowledge and skills that we expect um, practitioners or early career coaches to have for these two different roles. So the first one is um, strength and conditioning trainer. And you wouldn't believe the amount of discussions we've had to have about the name about this thing. But it's essentially, this is kind of like a, for lack of a better understanding, um, like a level two strength and conditioning practitioner, basically is what it is. So it's just understanding foundations um, of strength and conditioning. It's not really a heavy focus on Olympic weightlifting or anything like that. It's just understanding, um, you know, how to warm up properly, key fundamental movement patterns, just general good quality programming um, with sort of strength, core, jumping and balance based exercises and just really giving people the opportunity to start coaching a little bit earlier on. Above that, we have graduate strength and conditioning coach. Um, and this is basically the knowledge and skills that we expect university students to graduate from S&C degrees with. Um, so those are qualifications and or degrees that can be mapped or aligned to the content that's in those standards. And one of the key things to get across really early on in this message, I guess, is actually that this isn't the UKCA writing this thing. It's a quite a... Um, transparent and open process um, so we kind of facilitate the creation of the standards but the people who help us create the content are the employers so you know various different employers uh, and there's a steering group as well for the standards or a working group you know that are there to help us guide the content that goes in it 
And the reason why that's so important is because, you know, we've probably all heard at some point, um, you know, employers say that graduates are leaving degree and they just can't do the job I want them to do. So they don't have the skills to do it. So it was about making sure that um, the skill set that's being taught in university degrees marries up with what the practitioners are actually doing in the field. Um, so that's something that um, we've been working on and we've just uh, back in the start of last year, 2019, we had the professional standards document for SNC trainer ratified and signed off by UK Sports. And back in October last year, so about sort of five months ago, we had the professional standards for graduate SNC coach signed off and ratified. And, you know, they we have help from employers to create this, which is great. There's also this wider consultation process where you know like the whole membership can come and feed in to the to the document and tell us what they think oh well this is good but you're missing this and this so it's quite a transparent process that is really involving everyone you know should they want to invest the time to help us get it right um and they're also reviewed annually as well by the working group to make sure that the content that either qualifications or degrees map to uh, are staying you know current and vogue you know with what's out there at the moment and then above those standards, we have uh, what we're working towards is to get the uh, profession of strength and conditioning for accredited strength and conditioning coaches with the UKSCA um, chartered. So chartered in the UK, uh, I guess, would be a similar term to being termed licensed in America. And um, we're working with this government organization, SIMSPA, to create um, a number of uh, UKSCA requirements and then also individual requirements for an application process that if all are successful, uh, an accredited strength and conditioning coach will then effectively become chartered and have chartered status, which I think is a, a really, really big step for our profession. Um, and it's something that uh, we're definitely quite excited about. And that's a project that's ongoing at the moment um, and that we're working on probably for the, the rest of 2020, really. Mate, that sounds fantastic. So to, to be clear, if, that's, if you're a, a chartered strength conditioning coach, it's a little bit like a, a physiotherapist whereby you, you know, someone else couldn't just call themselves a strength conditioning coach. Is that right? Yeah, correct. So there's a, there's a, there's a couple of different things, really, in terms of sort of protecting protected title versus protected function um and we had a we had a conference call not long ago with this organization simspur and you know they were saying they they have the power to protect um you know the function of a chartered strength and conditioning coach um which effectively means they would need to have uh like a quality monitoring system in place to ensure that if people are calling themselves chartered strength and conditioning coaches and they haven't filled the re fulfilled the requirements to be able to do that yeah they wouldn't they wouldn't be able to call themselves that so it's a it's a nice little kind of step up for regulation um purposes in our profession but i guess the other thing as well really is that what, what the chartership or a, a chunk of the chartership will require if you look at how what it means to be chartered in other professions it requires practitioners to um showcase and document evidence over time of you know what they've been doing as a coach and um if you can show sort of how your practice has evolved and all the great work you've been doing over time document that evidence um with some really sort of 
strong critical reflection. That's a, a big part of it, you know, being able to critically reflect on, you know, what you've been doing as a coach, what's worked, what hasn't, what you've actually learned, how you've evolved. Um, that will be a, a big part of the application process. Um, and I think that's really, really important. You know, this notion of critical reflection and always sort of trying to learn and evolve is a, is a big part of a, a skill set that um, uh, hopefully and I'm sure lots of coaches are already doing. But if others are not, it's definitely something that will really, really help us evolve and take the next step as a profession, in my opinion. Hey, that's absolutely fantastic. I'm, uh, I'm super excited for that to, to come through as well. I think it's a, it's a really big step towards uh, a better strength and conditioning industry um, and also to protect the people who are doing brilliant work as well. So I think that's a, that's a really good one and a, a nice one to finish on as well. So, mate, thank you very much for your time. Could you give us a real quick 30-second summary of what you discussed today? Uh, yeah, sure. So... Um... With regards to uh, where the state of the, you know, the profession is, um, it's definitely a lot better than it was sort of five to ten years ago with more, you know, jobs offering money now. From an association perspective, the UKSCA has created a big uh, intern pack document, which kind of loosely says that we don't support free labor, but if you are going to offer an internship, let's make sure we give those early career coaches some some really big uh, coaching opportunities so they can develop their skill sets. And then from a uh, remainder of the membership perspective, so to speak, we are, well, we've developed this big pathway. Um, and that pathway is designed to help give early career coaches the chance to start coaching earlier and build their skill set, but also recognize the fantastic work that our existing and experienced coaches are doing as we work towards trying to offer them uh, a chartered member status fantastic mate that's absolutely brilliant so uh, once again massive thanks for everything you've done today uh, I really appreciate it and I'm sure everyone does who's listening as well thanks for having me mate yeah it's been really really good to talk about it and actually you know it's it's uh, often these things um, start learning more and more things about your own processes as you start talking about them out loud don't you so uh, thanks very much for having me on yeah it's been a real privilege thank you very much mate cheers so once again, a massive thanks to Chris for all of his hard work in today's podcast. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of our Money Mastery ebook. This is really relevant considering the conversations that we've had today, looking at internships, looking at how you progress your career. So we want to make sure that we've got your back in terms of making sure you're bringing in money all the time and how you can stay in control of your finances. And this one, of course, is more important than ever given the current corona crisis. So be sure to check it out. The link for that one is in the show notes. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks for me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next time.